Thank him for his love this morning. Thank him for his amazing love. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, begin reading in verse 8. When you got it, say so. All right, that was only a few voices, so. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. God, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord God, we just humble ourselves before you today, Lord God. We thank you because you love us with an everlasting love. And God, we humble ourselves before your word today, Lord God. We thank you because your word is living, your word is active, my God. Your word changes us. And so God, our prayer today is that you would speak to us, Lord God, from your throne room, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church and that you would be glorified in these next few moments as we share in your word together. God, I thank you so much for the privilege to share the truth of the gospel with the people of God. I pray that I decrease, that you would increase, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, Lord God. And I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have, if you do not have an outline, raise your hand. I want to make sure that everyone has an outline who would like an outline. The outlines are important for two reasons. Number one, they are what we utilize to go over Connect. So lift those hands up if you don't have an outline and make sure that you get one. The ushers are prepared to bring you them. So that's the, the, the first reason that I think is the, um, pretty much the most important one, to make sure that you can follow along in Connect. You can follow along throughout the preaching to make sure that you have the ability to take some notes. And that would be the second reason why it's also important is because you can actually sit there and write down some stuff. And as the Lord begins to speak to you, as you see things in the scriptures that you may not have seen before, then you're able to write those things down. So very important. If you're not part of a Connect group, you can see one of the pastors here today, um, and we will help you to get connected. Amen? Amen? All right, our memory verse. How many of y'all got this memory verse down? Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Right? We know that we're free, right, in Jesus? All right, so very important. Remember, chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, verse 1. This is the, I believe it's the English Standard Version translation. I don't necessarily read from that translation, but when I was doing the notes for the first message, when I pulled out the memory verse, that was the one that we were utilizing. So that's the version that will go with it. Maybe the New Revised Standard Bible, one of those two. But nonetheless, you, you don't have it in your outline today, but you should know it by memory almost. And we'll say it together, say, for freedom, for freedom. Christ has set us free. Y'all want to say, just go on ahead, just go on, y'all go on ahead, y'all got this, amen? All right, we'll do it again, let's start again. For freedom, Christ, I'm sorry, right, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
We're either going to say it together or you're going to follow. One of the two, right? You all threw me off last time because you were saying it with me. So let's say it together, right? One, two, three. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Good? Boom. All right, let's do it again. For freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last time, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so for those of you that this may be your first day, give yourselves a hand. That's good. We're getting there. We got a couple, you know, we got a few more messages left. So by the end, you will have it. Amen. To stick with us, I mean, if you just spend some time, I mean, seriously, it's not that hard to remember. It's not a really long verse. It kind of flows nice off the tongue, so you'll be okay. But the reason why that is the memory verse, for those of you that are with us for the first time today, is because that is a verse that really encapsulates the entire idea, the big idea of the book of Galatians, which is a reminder of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we want to be reminded of that because as we continue on through this message that the Apostle Paul is communicating to the church of Galatia, all of these churches actually, we want to make sure that we keep that idea in our heart, that we really understand what Jesus has done because that is what Paul is reminding the church of, that they have been set free because of what Jesus has done. Amen? All right, so looking at your outline here, first of all, last week we learned that we are heirs of God through the form of adoption. And so for many of us, this was very... Um, very like like heart-wrenching. It gripped our hearts because we realized this adoption. And one of the things that, as I was preaching, I said, as brats, the Father sent the Son, Jesus the Son died for us, and the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin and need for salvation, granted us repentance, and filled our hearts with a cry for our Daddy, Abba Father. And so I said, you know, when you, when, when you think of adoption, it's something that is nice, it's something that's beautiful, you've helped someone, but one thing that none of us would go on ahead and do is none of us would just decide that we are going to adopt someone who hates us. None of us would decide we're going to do that. We wouldn't decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to go and pick the worst kid to adopt that one. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go and get a teenager because they're just extremely rebellious. And this one, I'm going to get the worst one. I'm not saying all teenagers are rebellious. Most of us are when we were. Amen? I'm just saying, I'm just I'm trying to keep it real, right? We get to that stage, we get a little rebellious. But the point is, when you have a child who has been hurt, that has been neglected, that increases the level of rebellion in their heart, and then they have this hatred, you're not going to go pick that one and be like, yep, that's the one that I want. But that is exactly what God did for all of us. Every one of us were those rebellious, hateful, didn't love God, didn't want anything to do with God, and he decides that he is going to call us, that he is going to woo us, that he is going to draw us, that he is going to bring us in relationship. He is going to adopt us into the family of God. He's going to give us a new name. He is going to give us a new family. He is going to give us an amazing inheritance, and it's not because of anything good in us. It is only because of the goodness that is in him. Amen? And so we learn that. And so as those who are, and when you look at um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, you will see what that whole adoption picture is. I won't get into it too much, but what the writer does, Paul, what he does here is he begins to speak about there not being a difference between a child who is an heir, someone who is immature, until that person becomes. There's no difference between them and a slave. And so he shows us something. And if you hear what Paul is communicating, he's trying to call the Galatians to maturity. 
He's even calling these false teachers to the place of repentance and saying, listen, you're trying to bring people back under the tutor of the law rather than bringing them into the liberty that there is in Christ. And so what we realize is that being a son or an heir only matters when we come to a place of maturity or we are no better than slaves according to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Maturity comes when we are no longer led by the law but by the spirit of grace into obedience and a life of selflessness. And so what happens to us is that we begin to understand something. We begin to realize, we begin to get this picture that no longer am I dependent upon the law to have to tell me what to do, but I come to a place of maturity where I'm really being led by the Spirit in my relationship. Now, being led by the Spirit doesn't mean that I just wait for God to tell me every single thing to do because God inspired the Word in order for us to understand those practical things, those instructions that are necessary for our life. But the thing is this, when you look at someone who is under the tutor of the law, what the tutor does, and we were talking about this in our connect group, what this tutor does for us, even as you come to Jesus, when you and I decide that we are going to disobey the conviction of the Holy Spirit, guess where we end up again? We end up under the tutor of the law again, who's doing what? Bringing us back to Jesus. That's what we end up doing. And so what God wants to do is he wants us to be led by the Spirit because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. In other words, what happens is the book of Hebrews communicates to us that God has written his word, his commandments upon our heart. How did he do that? When we were born again, he writes, he instills those things in us. And so we know what is right, what is wrong, because God puts that in there. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of what God's will for our life as we spend time with him. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to be those who are growing in maturity. And that is what we're talking about today is growing in our maturity or as the title of this is growing in our liberty. Growing in our freedom in Christ. That is what God wants us to be able to grow into. And so he doesn't want us to have to depend on trying to mark the check marks of the law in our life, but he wants us to truly be sons and daughters of the king who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? If maturity is the place, and this is what God is calling us into, if maturity is the place we will experience the greatest joy and freedom in Christ, then we must realize the enemy will do all he can to hinder us from maturing in our understanding and faith in the gospel. The enemy knows that when we come to that place of maturity and we come to that place of freedom, that is where we experience the greatest joy. That is where we experience the greatest peace. That is when we experience the greatest of God, when we come to that place of maturity and relationship with him. So what is he going to do? He's going to do everything he can to keep us immature. And here's the reason why. Because immature, immaturity in Christ leads to immobilized Christianity. What happens is when we are immature, we are not worried about things outside of ourselves. I want you to think about this for a moment. When you think of a child, children are what by nature, all of us are this, but children, you see it specifically, they are selfish by nature. It is all about them. Every toy that they see is theirs. It is not theirs, but it is theirs. That's because that's just the way they think. If they grabbed it, that's mine. Not true. But the fact of the matter is, there's something going on inside of this child that is, that, that is, that is being worked, that we as parents try to work them through. So as you grow up, right, you know, you're not a, a kid, you know, in elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, everywhere you go as you're growing up, no one ever correct you. And so, you know, everything is not yours. Hello. 
But what happens is we, be, we, we are this way. And as Christians, when we are immature in our faith, what happens to us, we become immobilized because all we're worried about is us. All we're worried about is what we are getting. All we're worried about is what we are receiving. We're not concerned about sharing the wonder of Jesus with the world. We're not concerned with helping others because we're so worried about getting help for ourselves. And so what God wants us to do is come to this place of maturity and not just, not just so we can experience joy because that's going to happen, not just so we can experience this abundant life because that's going to happen, but he wants us to experience the fullness of this liberty and grow into maturity so that way we can come to the place that we are mobilized in our faith and we are sharing this liberty that we have experienced, this liberty that we are coming to know, that we are sharing it with those who don't know Jesus. Amen. One of the things we'll talk about today, and I'll say it now because I may forget later on, but, you know, today's the first Sunday of the month, so this is the, this is the Sunday that we take up our building fund offering and that we remind everyone of that. And, and one of the things that, as far as our three-year goal, one of the things that we have as a three-year goal is for us to have 300 vision carriers within three years, okay? I want you to understand how simple this is, to have 300 people who are members. That's what a vision carrier is. 300 people to be members of this church. All you got to do is every person in this place, you win two people to Jesus in the next two years, and guess what happens? You have 300 people. Hello? Do you know two people that don't know Jesus? You know two people that need a church? I'm sure you probably know like 20, right? So listen, share the gospel 20 times at least, and hopefully two of them will respond in faith. Amen? I'm just saying, we, when, we, when we look at how our life should be, you know, we want to be comfortable and we want to experience certain things. But the fact of the matter is God wants us to share this gospel. He wants us to share who he is. But we don't do that when we're not free. We don't do that when we're not free. We don't do that when we're immature in our faith. The one thing that I want to say is that our maturity in Christ cannot solely be measured by our external efforts of obedience. Let me say that again for you. Our maturity in Christ cannot solely be measured by our external efforts of obedience. And notice I said solely. You can measure some things. You should be able to look at your life and recognize that there is some growth in Christ, that there is some growth that is taking place. You should also be able to see if there's areas that you are not growing in by saying, man, I'm continuing to be whatever it may be. If it's an employer, you know, if, if you're an employee, that you continue to be late to work. Hello, somebody. Just, just always late, right? Do you think that that's, a, that's an immaturity issue? No, it just takes me longer to get ready. No. You just stop getting, you, you, you start getting, getting ready too late. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying. See, we don't want to hear, but, but Bishop, what does that have to do with me, you know, serving Jesus? Hello, that's my testimony of me being a Christian. I'm coming up in here late talking about glory to God. Hold on a second. Time out. Don't nobody want to hear glory to God when you're not living a life of example. Hello? It's, it's part of our character. And so if that is a continual issue with your life, man, you need to put your alarm clock on a little bit earlier. Hello? I'm just saying, oh, and, and well, Bishop, I do that. Well, put it across the room so you got to get up. As a matter of fact, put it in your bathroom so you got to get up and get to your sink, glory to God, before you turn it on. I'm just saying, do something to make yourself get up so that way you can't just snooze your life away. I'm saying, 
Glory to his name. Listen, the thing is, we have to come to that place, right? We have to come to where we can look at our life and say, okay, I'm growing in this area or I'm not growing in this area. It can be the way that you talk. It can be when we talk about sharing your faith with other people. How many times do you sit down and you're, and you're in conversations and you know that there is an opportunity that you should be opening your mouth, but you don't because you feel too immature? And what I mean by that is you're not going to say you're immature. You're going to say, I'm not knowledgeable enough. And what that is is being immature. Hello? How many times does that happen to us? And so what we want to do is we want to look at those things, and we do want to measure our life by that. But here's what I want you to understand. Don't just measure your life by the external efforts that you make. Measure your life by how you are growing in your faith in the gospel. Measure your life by how you are growing in your belief of what Jesus has declared and what the Apostle Paul is reminding the church of Galatia with. So the first thing I ask you to repeat this after me is this. Say, we choose, who we choose to serve will determine our maturity. Who we choose to serve will determine our maturity. Now let's look at verses 8 through verses 11. It says this, but then indeed, speaking of their past life, when you did not know God, you served. In one translation, I believe it's the ESV, it says you were enslaved to those things which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. And so the first thing is who we choose to serve is going to, ter- going to determine our maturity. So what Paul is saying here is that we all have, and I want you to think about this. We either choose to serve the Lord or we accept our default setting to serve our sinful nature and in reality serve demons. That's what he's saying they were doing. See, because each of us has this default setting. You know, when you purchase a phone or you purchase any kind of apparatus, usually there's a default setting. There's just the default setting. That's the factory setting. That's the way that it happens. Well, y'all know that we have factory settings. Hello? Every one of us was born with a sinful nature. So by nature, we are going to serve ourselves. We are going to serve our own desires. We are going to serve whatever we want. That's what we're going to do. But what we don't realize, and I want you to understand this, is that when Paul is communicating, he's telling the Galatians that they had been enslaved to demonic influences. And what I want you to understand is that if you are not serving Jesus, you may not understand or get this. But here is the reality. Anyone, know this, anyone who is not serving Jesus is still serving someone else. And they may think, well, I'm just serving myself. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the spirit realm. That is irrelevant to the conversation. The reality is when you look at your Bible, and I'm going to give you a couple of references here, The verse, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this. It says that the God of this age has blinded folks. And so we see some people that the God of this age, the spirit that is in operation, is blinding people. And the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, it talks about the spirit that is at work within the sons of disobedience. This is what the Bible says. Those who are being disobedient are being influenced by the demonic realm. That's what the scriptures say. Not what I'm trying to say. Not what some over-spiritual person is communicating. In the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, the Bible says there that the world lies under the sway or the influence of the enemy. And so what we have to understand is our default setting is to serve Satan in the way that Jesus put it. He said, that was your father. The devil was your father. Hello. 
When he's communicating to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees say, no, our father's Abraham. said, no, your father's the devil. Our default setting is sinful. And therefore, if we're going to give into our sinful nature and our sinful desires, if we're going to try to serve ourselves and our own things, well, we're going to be under what? Demonic influence. And what happens is those demonic influence, they lead you into what? They lead you into the beggarly things is what Paul says. They lead you to things that are beneath the gospel, the things that are beneath grace for you to earn your own righteousness. And so they have this issue. And what they did was by submitting to legalism. Now, here's what I want you to know. When they, in this scenario, what are the Judaizers trying to do here? Throughout this whole time, we've been talking about this. And the Judaizers are coming into the Galatian churches trying to communicate with them, hey, Paul has misled you. Paul has been dishonest toward you. Paul has not told you the whole truth. You have to be circumcised. You have to, and we'll deal with that a little bit more next week. You have to be circumcised. You have to obey all of the law. You have to worship on certain days. You can't eat certain foods. You can't participate in certain activities. They began to go through all of this, and it wasn't just to do that because that makes you holy. It was to do that because that makes you saved. Do that because that makes you righteous. And what the Galatians were doing is they're sitting back and they're listening to these teachers rather than saying, wait a second, that's not what Paul said. That's not what Paul declared to us. They're listening to these teachers. They're embracing this. And when you look at the words here, I find it amazing because, you know, we have these conversations in verse 9. I find this, this really stands out. He says, but now after you have known God, then he says, or rather are known by God. And so th- th- when, when I look at this scripture, first of all, you remember the text in the book of Matthew where Jesus is speaking. He says, many, many will come unto me in that day and they will say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? Did we not do all these miracles in your name? And he says, he says these words. He says, part from me, I never knew you. And look what, look, look, look what Paul says here. He says that you are known by God. He said, he said that you know God, right? You've come to know him. He says, but that you're known by God. See, that, 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 that changes everything there. Because when Jesus is saying, part from me, I never knew you, he is talking about the full mindset of God. I want you to understand this. You and I do not become known to God because we do some great things in the earth. Y'all are not hearing me. Listen. We don't, we, we, we don't get known to God because we do this great or we do this wonderful or we did some amazing things. We get recognized by men because of that stuff. But when the Bible says that God didn't know them, it means in the foreknowledge of God. It means in eternity past, God never knew them. See, that's the reason why I hold to a position that God knows and chooses you based on what he knows of you. Hello? Because he knows you in eternity past. He knows what you're going to do. He knows that choice you're going to make. And you know what he knows? He knows that that person may be in church, may be prophesying, may be casting out demons, may be doing great works in the name of the Lord and making an effort to be known by God, but they really have never committed or submitted themselves to him. This is what scares me when I read these scriptures. I'm like, hold on a second. I can do all this good stuff and still not be known by him. Because here's the thing. My life begins to take on a different dimension. My life begins to take on a different character when I, when, when I have really and fully made this commitment to him. When I have really and fully submitted my will unto his will. I don't just do certain things that I have to do. I don't just go to church or do this good work or do that good deed. All of my life is submitted unto him. Am I perfect? Not yet, but I'm on my way. Hello? 
All of us, if you are being perfected by him, you're not perfect, but you're on your way. God is working out his will in you. And so he says here to the Galatians, he said, rather that you're known by God. And what he's saying is that these people came to an understanding that God knew them. That's what he's saying. He's saying these people came to an understanding that God knew them. That's how they received this grace, this gospel, that God in his foreknowledge knew them somehow. They repented of their sin, and they came to faith in him. And he says this. He says, how is it that you turn again? How is it that you turn again? How is it that you turn from this great knowledge of this great Savior and this great God who has done such awesome? How is it that you turn again from that to these beggarly things? How is it you turn from the, but you know what, here's, when, when I think about this, it shocks me to think that someone could know the Lord or, like the scripture says, be known by the Lord and that they would consider turning back to carnal securities for salvation. That makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me, but you want to know what? The fact of the matter is it doesn't have to make sense to me. That's what the Bible says these people were doing. And you know what the truth of the matter is? The truth of the matter is that we do the same stuff. We do the same things. We, we, we come, we have a security in Jesus, and then like I told you before, we want some more security, and so we start to think, well, I'm going to cling to this good work, or I'm going to cling to these things, or I'm going to participate in this, and this somehow makes me more acceptable to God. That's not true. That's not what the scriptures teach. My security is solely in who? It's in Jesus. My security. See, that's why we have to be like Paul, and we have to learn to boast in the cross of Christ, not our cross. See, that's the difference. You see, Jesus said, you need to take up your, you're going to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me daily. Here's our issue. Our issue is many times we boast more in our cross than in his cross. We boast more in our sacrifice than his sacrifice. We boast more in what we do than what he did. We boast more in those things. We have more weight, whether we want to admit it or not, in the things that we do that prove our holiness, that prove that we are safe. We have more weight over here than we do on the finished work of Jesus. And we have to come to that place where we truly boast in the cross like Jesus, like the Apostle Paul does, that he boasted in the cross. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Who we choose to imitate affects our growth into maturity. Read verse 12 with me to verse, to verse 20. It says this. It says, brethren, I urge you to become like me. For I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, speaking of the Judaizers, zealously court you but, you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. In other words, they want to separate you from the preaching and the teachings of Paul. They want to sep you, separate you from the revelation of this gospel. They want to get you apart from that is what, they, is, is, is what they're trying to do, that you may be zealous for them. They don't want you to be zealous for God. They want you to be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now to change my tone for I have doubts. Or another word is I am perplexed about you. There was some, Paul, and, and, and when Paul is communicating, he communicates to them here and he's saying, listen, be like me. 
Become like me. He communicates in a way that is like a father speaking to children. And notice this. Paul finishes because he's rebuking them hardcore. We've heard all these rebukes that he's brought to them. And after he finishes rebuking them, his, cha- his tone changes with them. Martin Luther says, these words breathe tears. When you see Paul communicating, he's like, man, what have I done wrong to you? He said, why have you changed the way? What he's saying to them, why have you changed the way you were? You love me so much. See, when, and, and this should encourage some of us because a lot of times we think that, you know, when we go preach the gospel, everything has to be perfect. And we can't see that sometimes God will use the negative stuff in our lives to position us to preach the gospel to people who need to hear it. Hello. And the Apostle Paul said when he preached to them, what he's saying is he didn't even mean to preach to them. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to preach to them. He had no choice. He had to make a pit stop so he could deal with whatever his infirmity was. And so nobody really knows what that infirmity is, but the indications are it had something that made him look repulsive unto the people. So when he came in, he was sick, and they believed that it was some kind of eye disease that was going on around that time in that particular area. And so it was, it, it was something that was repulsive where people don't even want to be near you. And what he says is that I came there because of that and I began to preach to you and you accept me like an angel or even like Jesus himself and so no matter what we're going through no matter where we are this is why we have to believe in the sovereignty of God right that God wants to use us wherever we are wherever he has positioned us wherever our situations bring us that's what he wants to do he wants to use us because what because somebody needs to hear the gospel where you're at and so Paul is, is like a dad, and he's coming to them, and he's not trying to manipulate them at all. He's not trying to control them in any way, shape, or form. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to bring out to them, like, guys, what happened? See, you got to remember this thing with Paul. Paul didn't have a husband. I mean, he didn't have a husband. Obviously not. We hope not. Glory to God. Different church. All right, so wrong church. Hello. Paul did not. It's amazing. Like, when you say something, you hear it, you're like, yeah, that didn't sound right. Okay. Paul did not have a wife, glory to God, all right? He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. He didn't have a family. Paul was married to the ministry. That's the reason why he had this heart that, I mean, I've I've yet to meet someone who every time they're preaching, tears are running down their face. There's people that have told me about folks like that. I have yet to meet them. But the thing is, this guy was married to the ministry. So you know what he did? He was encouraged by the Lord. He was encouraged by what God was doing. But his heart, his devotion, all of his time was where? It was all for the people of God. It was all for them. And so he was encouraged by them. But now he's perplexed because he's like, why have you guys change towards me. He said, when I see when Paul is calling them to, to become like him, what he is doing is he is saying, become like me, like I became like you. What he's reminding them of is that I came to you being a Jew, and I stopped being a Jew in accordance with the law, and I was free in Christ to be around you. We broke bread together. I wasn't worried about what you were eating. I wasn't telling people they needed to be circumcised. I wasn't worried about Sabbath days and, and festival days. I wasn't worried about any of those things, but what I was concerned about was you and I was concerned about bringing glory to God he says become like me and so in other words what he is doing is he is saying look become like me but I want you to follow Jesus that's what he's saying see the Judaizers weren't like that see the Judaizers were coming in there and they were like oh be like us we don't want you to give glory to God we want you to give glory to us we want, we, 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 we want the honor of being your spiritual parents. We want the honor of being the ones that have led you the right way. We want the honor of being, we, we, we want to be the ones that you boast about. Hello. See, there's a different heart here. 
This heart of a father that the Apostle Paul demonstrates, he is communicating, he is sharing, saying, look, you know, Paul was calling the church into mature dependence upon the revelation and the power of Jesus that was found in the gospel while the Judaizers were calling them back into childhood. Paul was saying, I want you to be free. I want you to experience freedom. He wasn't saying, I don't want you to be part of the church. That isn't what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I don't want you to respect and honor your leadership. That's not what he's saying. He didn't say, I don't want you to care about being part of a congregation, submitting to authority. That is not what he was saying. What Paul was saying, though, is he says, I want Jesus to be glorified. I want Jesus to be the supreme. I want Jesus to be the one you're depending on. I want Jesus to be the hero of your story, your life, your situation. I don't want circumcision to be the hero. I don't want the law to be the hero because what happens is when we start to submit ourselves again to the law, we go backwards instead of forwards. And Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to be in this bondage. I don't want you to be bound. I want you to be free and I want you to experience this. I'll say this about this point here because Paul transitions to this fatherly heart and he says, and, and he says so clearly, he says, my little children for whom, in verse 19, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. And so what Paul did was when he came and he preached to this church initially, he was in labor over them. And what he means is for the women that are in this place, you'll understand clearly for the husbands who have seen your wife go through some kind of labor, you'll understand it conceptually. You will never understand it physically. But here's the thing there is a there is a birthing there is a burden that is there that the people that are being preached to that the people who are being shared with that their hearts are changed and let me encourage you church don't expect spiritual leaders to be the only ones who labor in pain to see Christ formed in other believers or in people who don't know Jesus there should be something that is going on inside of each of our hearts there should be something that is stirring inside of us that is calling us to deepen crime or to deepen Deeply cry out to God, asking him to bring change to lives, that the character of Christ would be formed in those that we are preaching to, that the character of Christ would be formed in the lives of the brothers and sisters that we're in community with, that we would be burdened like that. That is what the church needs today, is a people who are overwhelmed by the reality of what it means to be separated from God. See, I don't know about anybody in here, we talked about some good stuff, about where God has taken us from, and about where we would be without him but I don't know if you just remember how lost you really were I don't know if you really got the glimpse see I tell y'all all the time I thank God for my grandmother who communicated to me that sin was taking me to hell because I knew that that was my destination see some of y'all may not have had that and some of you may have not got that gripping on your soul that hell is forever that hell is separation from God that hell is something that is going to be forever there is no way out you don't spend a little bit of time there until things get right. There's no purgatory. There's no in the middle. Anybody who dies without Jesus spends all of eternity separated from him. And that should bother you. When you see your friends around you living adulterous lifestyles, that should bother you. When you see co-workers around you who are lying and cheating and trying to climb up that ladder of success, those things should bother you. When you see people who are bound in idolatry, there is something that should be going on inside of your heart. But that won't happen if you're not spending time alone, locked up with Jesus, crying out over them, that will not occur if you don't allow him to grip your heart with that reality. We need to be those people 
that are burdened to this place that we are in labor and prayer over people being saved, over people being delivered, that we don't laugh at their stupidity, but that we understand that their stupidity signifies they are lost, that they are in desperate need of intervention. And listen, you and I, just like Paul, cannot change a soul, but we can unify with our Savior. We can unify with the intercessor. We can unify with the one who can change, and we can become burdened to that place that it really matters. We can come to that place, church. Godly leaders, godly leaders, this is, this is what I see here. Godly leaders love God's people, lead God's people, and are to be followed by God's people as they follow Jesus. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what we try to do here in this church. What, what we want to do is we want to be examples as our leaders. That's the reason why we start our connect groups, because when we start our connect groups, it's more than you just seeing us here on Sunday. You get to sit down with us. You get to break bread with us. You get to hopefully spend time outside of your connect gathering and spend some other time together to be able to really look at your leaders, get to know them, to see are these, are these men of God, are these women of God, are these people that really love the Lord? Because if you have those kind of leaders around you, then they are going to do what? They're going to help you come to maturity in Christ. They're going to help you come to that place where you understand that, look, it, God did. God called me to preach my heart out. God called us to teach and preach and minister and to be out there and to be preachers and teachers and ministers as well. But he's not just called us just to preach to you on Sundays. He's called us to do something else, and that is to raise you up for what? The Bible says the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. It's making disciples. That's what it is. And so that's what we're supposed to be being equipped for. The third thing I ask you to repeat this after me is say we, who we choose to identify with inspires or discourages our maturity. Who we choose to identify with inspires or discourages our maturity. Look at verse 21 to verse 31. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman, the one by a free woman. But he who has, but he who was the he, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants: the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so now it is. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free who we choose to identify with inspires or discourages our maturity. And so what the Apostle Paul does here is, again, he demonstrates that the law should be used in light of the completed revelation of the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. What Paul does is he simply says, he says, okay, you want to be under the law? 
You want to depend on the law for your direction. You want to depend on the law for your guidance. You want to depend on the law for your spiritual growth. Well, let me take you to the law to show you what the law communicates. And so what he does is he talks about two sons. He talks about two wives. He talks about two covenants. And he brings this comparison. And he's saying, look, he said there, was the, there were these people. And what he's saying is, and I want you to know, some of your Bible may say that this is an allegory. I don't like the word allegory. I think that that's probably not necessarily the best translation because when we think of an allegory, a lot of times we think of a story that wasn't real. And then that's when you get people who say, well, you know, the Bible is, you know, allegoric. You know, you don't really have to take it for real. That's not true. What Paul is saying is that there was a deeper spiritual truth in this real story that occurred. And there was a symbolism that was in there. There was something deeper that was there. And so what should happen to us is when we're looking at the Old Testament, Anna asked me a question. She's doing a Bible study in her job. And she was asking me a question like, how do I know when a story is supposed to be more, you know, than just a story? And, you know, we began talking about that. And the one thing that we have to realize is this, is that we have the New Testament. So we are, when we're reading our Bibles, we are literally looking backwards. That's what we're doing. When we're reading our Bibles and we're looking in the Old Testament, we're looking backwards because we're already at a place of revelation. We're already at a place of salvation. The things that the Old Testament were pointing to have already happened, most of them, except for the end time prophecies, right? And so what happens is we are looking this way when we're looking at the Old Testament. So when I look at the Old Testament, it is important for us that we, that we grow in our maturity in Christ and allowing the Scripture to interpret the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. What we need to look for is where do we see the gospel in these Old Testament things? Where do we see the gospel picture in these Old Testament things? And it doesn't mean over-spiritualizing every text. It doesn't mean taking text out of context to make it say the gospel. If it doesn't say the gospel, it doesn't say the gospel. Hello. But what I can tell you is that when you look back and you look at these stories, what, what God wants to do is he wants to be the hero of all the stories. Hello. He wants to be the one that is glorified. He wants to be the one that is honored. He wants to give us direction. And so what Paul does, he looks back and he says, you know what he said there were these two women. And he gives the example. He says, and one of them was free. The other one was, was a bond servant. She was, she was a slave. And so this one woman, he symbolized, he says she is symbolic of this old covenant. She is symbolic of the flesh. She is symbolic of what people try to do to bring about the promises of God on their own. Hello. See, the false teachers didn't realize that the symbolism in the law with Hagar and Sarah showed the difference between the works of the flesh trying to bring about the promise of God and the promise of God being fulfilled supernaturally. They didn't see that. And when we look at this today, what we understand is it's the same thing with us being saved today. You see, when you look at this story with, 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 with um, Hagar and you see Sarah, well, what you see is that God gave Abraham a promise, right? And he, he gives him this promise, and so Sarah's like, look, I can't have any kids, so you're going to have to figure this out. So why don't you go ahead and you sleep with my, you know, my, my maidservant over here? And then, you know, Abraham, right, he's like most guys. He was like, sounds good to me. Right? I'm just saying, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should think like that. I'm just saying that's just how most dudes think, right? Well, go do that. There's no woman in this room, any woman in this room, raise your hand if you would ever tell your husband something like that. No hands. Glory to God. Every woman's like, I would choke him thinking like that. I'm about to choke him right now. So I'm glad I'm up here and my wife is back there because I'm, I'm out of the choke zone. Glory to God. <laughs> but here's the thing. The thing is, Abraham gets his promise from God, right? Abraham believes God. Sarah must have believed God too, but Sarah couldn't believe that God was going to do it through her. So Sarah says, do this. Abraham says, okay. And then Hagar gets pregnant. 
Hagar gets pregnant. Now you see that that was bad counsel because when you go to that Old Testament, glory to God, and you read this story, they're fighting from like jump. I mean, the woman's pregnant. You know, Hagar's like hating on her, looking at her like, "Uh uh-huh, look what I got. Right? She's just like in her face, and, and, and Sarah's upset, and so, you know, has the baby. All this stuff happens. Well, God makes it 100%. Look at him. He makes it. He, listen, he makes it. I want you to hear what I say. God makes it, not your circumstance, not your situation, not people around you. God himself makes it impossible for Abraham to do anything except receive the promise of God by the power of God, period. It is God who does this. Why does he do this? Why does he wait until Abraham's 99 years old? I mean, that's pretty old. Hello. Even by those days, that's still old. I'm saying, Sarah was like, man, I mean, if you read in the New Testament what she's saying, she's like, man, my husband and I haven't done that in a long time. That's basically what she's saying. I'm just telling you. That's what she's saying. Like, really? That's why she's laughing. She's like, okay. I don't know who's talking to my husband, but they must have something. I don't know. But anyway, that, that's what she's saying. That's what, she's laughing. She's like, There's no, I'm going to have pleasure. And she's like, uh-uh, that's just not going to happen. God makes it impossible, impossible for this to happen unless it is him. And obviously God is looking forward to us that are going to read these scriptures and to the Galatian people that are going to read these scriptures and understand that, look, it was because of his grace, it was because of his power that, that, that Sarah was able to become pregnant. It was because of God's supernatural ability and his will. And, he, and it's the same thing that happens with us. When we are born again, are we born again because we decide we want to be born again? Are you sure? I'm sure. We are not born again just because we decide, hey, I want to be born again. That's not how it happens. That is not how it happens. On the contrary, think, see, I know me, okay? I know my story specifically. I know how I was not like, hey, I want to be born again. It was not like that. I was fighting tooth and nail against being born again. I didn't want to make a confession to Jesus. I loved sin too much. I enjoyed my life too much. I liked living how I was living. People could preach whatever they wanted to say. People could say whatever they wanted to say. I didn't want to hear that because what? Because I was fighting against that. And so I'm born again. Why? Not because of the hand of the flesh. Not because people around me were so amazing. It is because God Almighty saved me. He is the one that saved me. He is the one who delivers us. And so what he's saying is he's saying, look, this, this is what happens. In this, under this old covenant over here, Hagar, is born, is she, she's, a, she's a slave. She gives birth to who? She gives birth to a slave. She can't, she can't make anything else. Understand this, church. That's what the law does. It can't make you free. See, here's, here's, what the, here's what the Judaizers were trying to bring to the minds of the people, saying, look, I'm going to bring you a way for you to experience all this good stuff, right? And, and really, we got to look at the enemy, because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to hinder us from experiencing growth and maturity the way that God wants us to do this. And so the Judaizers come to them, and they're telling them, hey, if you obey the law, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have life. You obey the law, you, you submit to the law, you're going to have an inheritance. You submit to the law, you're going to have righteousness. 
You submit to the law, you're going to have all of these things. And you know what Paul did in all of these prior chapters? He made it very, very clear that under the law, that it doesn't give us life, it doesn't give us righteousness, it doesn't give us the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't give us the inheritance that God has. He makes it clear. He says the law is incapable of doing that. You know why? Because the law has one purpose, to bring you to Jesus. The law has one reason, and it is to bring you back to Jesus because in Jesus, you get life. In Jesus, you become righteous. In Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, you have an inheritance. It's not the other way around. And see, we have to be careful because the Scripture says this. It says that when, you know, when um, Abraham, um, you know, or not, not Abraham, but when Ishmael, he's a little bit older, 13 years old. You know, he's been the only son of Abraham. Abraham has really loved him, really cared for him. And all of a sudden, it's time for Isaac to be weaned, right? The weaning is a sign of maturity. So around three years old at that time is when they began to wean children. And so it was a sign of maturity. It was a sign of celebration. Like you're becoming mature. You're not going to be dependent on your mom like that anymore. And you know what happens? Ishmael is over there mocking him. It's rather than celebrating him, Ishmael is mocking him. And you know what happens? That's what people who are bound in legalism do with us when we talk about our freedom in Christ. When we, when we walk in our freedom, they begin to condemn us, which is the scripture says in the New Testament, to persecute. That's what the Bible is saying. To tell us about how wrong we are for experiencing our freedom. Hello? Listen, I'm going to tell you a quick story. It's, 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 it's not funny to some people. It's funny to me. Um, when I first became a Christian, I want you to know that I was never like a, a, a dancing fool. You know, I wasn't like one of those dudes that was always, you know, I wasn't like that. But when I got saved, you know, I was hanging out with some people in, in the church, and um, they went to this, this um, homecoming party. So, or not party, but dance, you know, school. So they invited me to go to the homecoming. Mind you, I wasn't even in school, so I was just going, just going to hang out. So I go to this homecoming thing. It's like five Christians. We're in this homecoming area. We never, ever, listen to what I'm saying, for all of you that know what homecoming is like, we didn't go down to the dance floor and get crazy. We didn't do that. I'm not telling you you can't do that. I'm just saying that isn't what we did. We stood in our little corner, the five of us, and we danced and we did some little stuff. I right? had a good old time. I thought it was a good time. I'm like, yeah, man, glory to God. Being a Christian is awesome. Hey, come on. You know, I'm like, you know. Like, I could do this, right? Anyway, so I come, I, come, I, come, I, come to, I come to church on Wednesday the following week, and I'm in a meeting in the office with the pastor. Y'all know that ain't good. So, you know, I'm, I'm in a meeting, and the pastor's like, listen. I heard that you were dancing. Like, yeah, I was dancing. He's like, we don't do that here. I was like, oh, okay, my bad. I said, okay. I'm thinking, it was a secular environment. They were playing worldly music. That's the problem. Because I'm thinking, David danced, didn't he? I'm just saying, that's what I thought, right? I mean, the homie drove, you know, danced out of his outer robe. You know, I mean, just. So a couple months later, I get invited to a quinceanera. Right? It's like a sweet 16, but it's 15-year-olds. Get invited to that. All Christians. All Christian music. Hello, somebody. There was a pastor there praying over the girl. He was sitting down there eating. I'm like, this is a safe zone. Hello. <laughs> right? We're, we, we are in the safe zone, right? We're we going to be all right, glory to God. I get up in there, do, I, don't even know, I don't even know how to dance side to side. I'm just letting you know right now, I don't even know how to do it. I'm like doing a two-step, faking it, whatever, having a good old time, had a great time. There were some people from our church that were there, and guess where I was next Wednesday? In the pastor's office. I'm like, pastor. He's like, Jason, I heard you were dancing again. I'm like, my goodness. Like, 
I'm like, okay, I, yeah, yes. I'm like, it was all Christian music. There were all Christians there. I mean, there was obviously some people that weren't Christian, but we were dancing all Christian music. Nobody was getting grimy and nasty. I'm like, nothing was going on. I'm like, pastor, there was another pastor there. He's like, we don't do that here. I was like, glory to God. Glory to God. I'm like, praise the Lord Jesus. The point is that I was so traumatized by this thing, I didn't even dance with my wife at my wedding. Oh, yeah, glory to God. Straight up, every time we're at a wedding, my wife's like, I can't believe you didn't dance with me. I'm like, babe, I'm sorry, I was in bondage. I got to add this here. You know Milton right here. I'm going to tell you about him because he was the, one of the major legalists back then. He condemned me too. He was like, bro, how are you dancing? I'm like, what are you talking about? We went back and forth at it, but I can tell you he's liberated today because I was at a wedding with him and he was doing his little two-step. He was doing his thing, right? So he's been set free. But the point is, right, <laughs> we, get, we, we, we find ourselves in bondage and we find it because people around us are in this. And what it is is that we have a liberty. You know what? I figured it out. Those people were just jealous because they were standing out there watching these kids laugh and have a good time. And they were like, oh, holy is the Lord. I'm like, hold on a second. Why can't God be holy on the dance floor? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And listen, don't take us to an extreme. Be like getting out there, you know, doing whatever craziness. That's not what God is saying. That is not what I'm saying. Hello. But the Bible does say there's a time for everything, doesn't he? Look at the list of things. If I would know my Bible better, I would have been like, yo, pastor, there's a time to dance. And he didn't say it was after I died either in heaven. Hello. I'm just saying, but I submitted. I was a good submitted boy, and I was like, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to submit to you, and I never danced again. Ah, babe, I love you. I love you. We're going we're gonna to dance. We're going to dance after this. As a matter of fact, come up here. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Let's do this thing, girl. I'm just kidding. Okay, so getting back to the scriptures here. The point was, the reason why I bring that up is because Ishmael was jealous of Isaac. <laughs> he was jealous of the free one. And there are some people, and listen, I don't want you to ever think, I don't want you to ever, ever think, Minister Juan, I'm going to use him as an example right now. When he first came to the church, I had, a, I, and I will tell you this, and, and, and if, if you have earrings on, please know that I don't look at you funny. I, Minister Juan liberated me of this, amen? But when he first came here, when I would see someone with earrings on and stuff like that, I would always like be like, man, do they really love Jesus? And then when I met Minister Juan, you know, I just I asked the question, you know. And then when I met Minister Juan, I mean, homeboy was back there, hands lifted up. He was bawling. I'm like, man, this guy worships more intensely than me. He's got to love the Lord. I got to know him, right? And so as I got to know him, we're in a good, you know, relationship. And I'm seeing this guy really loves Jesus. And then one day we go to this Man Up conference and we're coming back from Georgia. And as we're coming back from Georgia, the elders and I had already had a conversation because we felt like he was called to minister to our youth. And so we were like, okay, so how are we going to address this? You know, are we going to make him like take these earrings off in order for him to minister to the youth or whatever? And we, and we came to the agreement that it really becomes a heart issue. Like if we ask him to take them off, would he take them off? And if he says no, then we know that that's an idol. If he says, man, I'll take them off hands down, then it's not a problem. We're not going to ask him to take them off unless the Holy Spirit convicts him. So that's kind of what we did. I hope y'all stood with me. I know it's kind of quick, a lot of information. But anyway, we have this conversation. We have this conversation, and we go to this Man Up conference. As we're coming back from the Man Up conference, I don't know what inspired him. Well, I do, but, you know, the Holy Ghost must have inspired him. And he's like, you know, Bishop, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, I have this friend. And he's like, and every time this friend sees me, he says to me, bro, when I look at you, all I can see is that bling bling. I can't hear nothing you're saying. And he's like, you need to take them earrings off. And this is, you know, somebody calling to holiness. And he's like, bro, I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I should do. And I said, well, Minister Juan, I said, if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, I said, then you need to take them off. And he's like, straight up, bro, I'm not convicted at all. 
I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, I, 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 bro, my bad. I'm, I'm driving. I can't, you know, I'm just. So he's like, I'm not convicted one bit. I'm like, well, bro, if you're not convicted, you know, then, then, that's, then that's, you know, between you and the Lord. And then he says out of his own mouth, these are his own words. I didn't say them. He, he goes to, you know, I think it's 1 Corinthians or whatever, where it talks about, you know, um, Paul says, I become all things to all men. And, you know, he talks about in Romans chapter 14 and 15 about, you know, not putting a stumbling block. And he's like, you know what? He said, if I'm a stumbling block, then I would take them off. And then he said, and if you guys as leaders ever asked me to take them off, I would take them off. And I was like, all right, bro, that's good. I said, you don't have to take them off. Two weeks later, we come back from this conference. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm liberated from my earring issue, right? I'm like, glory to God, we can have earrings. I'm getting some next week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go dance while I'm doing it, right? Might, 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 might get a sleeve on the way. You know, I'm just saying, we're going to break it down, glory to God, right? So, so, minister, <laughs> I took it to, I took it from earrings to, to sleeve dancing, and we're getting free today. So, minister Juan, he comes to church on a Wednesday night. Homeboy ain't got his earrings on. I'm like, what's up with this cat, man? <laughs> Sunday comes around, he ain't got his earrings on again. I'm like, hold on, man, that's two times he ain't got them on. You know, you forget one day, but you don't forget two. Next Sunday comes around, he ain't got them on. I pull him out of my office. I'm like, bro, where are your earrings at? <laughs> so first I'm worried about him taking them off. Now I'm like, why did you take them off? And so he begins to communicate how he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He said he was standing in front of, you know, his mirror. He was getting ready for um, a parent-teacher open house thing at, at school. And as he's standing in front of this mirror, he's there in front of the mirror, and he's looking at himself, and he takes his earrings off. Because he's like, I don't want them to think that I'm some kind of whatever. And when he takes them off, the Holy Spirit, he, this is his words. I'm, I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm just, re, just re, repeating what he says. He's like, the Holy Spirit was like, man, you'll take those off for the world, but you won't take them off for me? Now, why do I share that story? It's not because I want you to take your earrings off if you have them. I don't really care what you do. I'm, I've been seriously set free from that. But it's because I want you to understand how the Holy Spirit talks to us and convicts us of sin. He convicts us of things that are wrong. He shows us what things are wrong, but he doesn't want us to be in bondage. See, God doesn't want every person who has earrings on to take them off because Minister Juan took his off. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't want Minister Juan to get him and say, yo, all y'all are just unholy heathens if you got earrings on. I know he wants to because he feels like, man, I'm missing, so I'm just joking. He doesn't want to do that. But the whole thing is, God doesn't want us to be in bondage. The enemy wants us to be in bondage. He wants us to be enslaved, and because he realizes that when we start putting more weight on what we do rather than on what Jesus does, we're not walking in freedom. We're not walking in the fullness of what he wants for us. The scripture says it clearly in verse 30. It says, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So what is that scripture saying? He's saying your inheritance is not tied to legalism. Your inheritance is tied to the finished work of Jesus. You can't get an inheritance. You can't get your inheritance on your own. What you do is you trust the work of Christ. And he says in verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are free. And so my closing question is this. How do you measure your maturity in Christ? Is it your adherence to the law or your faith in his finished work? How do you measure? How do you, how, I know the right way to measure is by faith in what he's done. But how do you measure your maturity in Christ? Being honest. 
How do you measure it? Do you measure it based on what you do? Do you measure it based on how amazing you are? Or do you measure it based on what Jesus has done? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Grab your neighbor's hand, please. Father, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you so much for your power. We thank you so much for your presence, my God. We thank you because...